Hello, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. Uh, in case you don't know by now, my name is Chris Denson, and this show covers all things marketing, innovation, ideas, uh, whatever we can find in the marketplace that we think is interesting and awesome. Um, and the ball does not stop today. Uh, hello, Tristan Walker. How <laughs> What's are going you? on? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Good, good, good. Good is good. Um, <laughs> That's for sure. Hopefully, I'm going to get to great. That's what I'm trying to get to. I'm going to be doing a, get my, my uh, Tony the Tiger on. Yeah, I hear that <laughs> <laughs> um so let's let's you know i i doubt if there aren't very many people who know who you are especially when it comes to my audience all, all 11 of them but um why don't you give us a, a little bit of the 101 on on who tristan is yeah 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 so um you know i can go as far back as you want <laughs> but but most recently uh you know i'm the founder and ceo of a company called walker and company uh, you know, we develop um, you know, health and beauty brands specifically tailored to the needs of people of color. Uh, kind of before I founded this company, I worked at Foursquare, uh, mobile social application, uh, pretty early at that company and helped that on the business team kind of grow uh, to what it is today. And uh, yeah, man, just, you know, <laughs> I'm a dad. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> on that's, that's, that's a newly appointed yeah. uh, post, right? Yeah, man. He's uh, three and a half months and he's oh, wow. as, as good as I could have ever imagined, man. Like, I, I love that little guy. That's great. Yeah. Well, you should love him. I think you're legally required to. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I actually just did a second birthday for, for my son. So, oh, like, cool. uh, so if you need Thank any you. tips, uh, let me know. Have you hit the terrible twos yet? Yeah, uh, you know, yes. Yes, okay. it is a terrible, <laughs> a terrible, you know, and I'm not big on like cliches or like oh you know oh, the kids do this and people yeah. do that like i'm like no we, we got this but sure enough that that dude is kicking and like screaming it. and refuses to sleep and throws his food yeah. on the floor i'm like yeah. if you're a grown man um this would this would be <laughs> this would be fighting territory <laughs> Yeah, but man, uh until then yeah so yeah you got you got about uh i, I can't do math you got 21 more months so yep. uh, so good yep. luck um so how, how how does one make the you know make the leap from a four square which you like you said is uh social mobile um then we all know sort of what four square is thanks to you um to like a you know a consumer product you know line and a, a, a suite of them at that yeah um you know it wasn't much of a change Quite frankly, you know, I get that question all the time, right? But at the end of the day, you know, Foursquare was about building a brand that people love uh, with an app that was actually pretty useful, so a product that was useful and, and solved the need, right? Uh, when we think about what we're doing at uh, Walker and Company, specifically our first brand, Bevel, you know, it's building a brand that people love with a product that works and a product that people need, right? Uh, the only difference is I'm not dealing in like bits and bytes anymore. It's actually like real product, right? Um, so yeah, you know, I've been very fortunate and blessed to like have at least in my opinion that like seamlessness. Uh, but as far as like how I actually did it, like tactically, you know, I left Foursquare. I felt it was time to go out and um, you know start a new company. I was very proud of what we did at Foursquare, uh, but I felt it was time, I and mean, there were bigger problems um, that needed to be solved. And I felt it was good as time as any to, to try. Uh, joined a venture capital firm and. And Horowitz um, as an entrepreneur and resident. So, you know, that pretty much meant I had six to nine months uh, to figure out the company I wanted to start, which was like the best job ever. That's <laughs> right? a great, that's a great um, gig. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Uh, so I spent all nine months there naturally um, to figure it out. Seven months into it, I came up with the concept for Walker and Company. 
uh, and the rest is history. You raised ten million dollars for it, et cetera. Um, but you know, the transition wasn't as as jaded as I thought it would be originally. It was actually you know a lot of the same learnings we learned from Foursquare and kind of we're applying here. Um, so let's let's make that a, a, a let's make a, pr- a practical leap there, right? Where yeah. you know, what are some of the tactics that you did apply? You know, I, I, I get it in terms of attracting an audience. You know, examining a product f- feature sets and functionality and so on and so forth. What are some of the other like things that paralleled and kind of propelled you into? Well, you know, the only thing matters, right, is like building something that people want to talk about. Right. Uh, so, you know, it begs the question, how do you build things that people want to talk about? Uh, you make a product that works. Right. Uh, once you make a product that works, uh, kind of treats the consumer in a way that's respectful. Right. Uh, everything about, right. And it boils down to just the kind of time, practicality and math <laughs> in a lot of cases. Right. Um, so, you know, we started the, the Bevel brand. We raised money. I think it was May of 2013 now um and then we started taking orders six months later right with no prior experience at all in consumer packaged goods usually you know people who want to start new brands takes 18 24 months right we did it in six uh now it's just a function of it's just being not necessarily easy to do or simple to do um but it wasn't rocket science right uh and it really was steep in this kind of idea that you know, we just want to develop something that people wanted, right? Uh, so at its core, and it might seem abstract, but it's really not. You know, you just got to make something that people want to talk about, and that's a function of just building something that people need. Nice, good job. <laughs> well, uh, so far, uh, no, and so I mean, I want to I wanted to back up a, a second because you know I think as an entrepreneur in residence, as an entrepreneur in general, um, as you know, someone who built up a or you know, built up a company like Foursquare. How do you? What was your predictive filter, right? Because you, from from what I've learned, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you kind of knocked on the door of Foursquare asking to do this, you know, do yep. the, the biz dev for for them. So, yep. w- what was it about Foursquare that attracted you, and that you saw success and a trajectory that you know most most of us probably don't have that same spider sense. Yeah. So I think it started with. Um identifying the things that'll change my life, right? Uh, even before Foursquare, I joined Twitter when there were about 20 people at the company, and I think they had like a million users at the time, is <laughs> something like that. And, um, you know, like I saw at the time that they were just changing communication, right? Like I had a few experiences with Twitter that were just magical. Uh, same thing happened at Foursquare, right? I joined Foursquare when we had 10, 15 at the time, um, and it really changed the way I thought about like exploring my city, right? Like, and I want to be a part of things that change my life first, right? Uh, and there are a lot of people like me, right? So if, if something is naturally changing my life, like, we'll be changing it for a good portion uh, of people, right? A good number of people. Uh, and then the same applied for Walker & Company and Bevel, right? I wanted to build something that would fundamentally change my life. Uh, and, you know, a lot of, um, you know, I've been blessed to be able to find kind of those companies in this one as well. So, you know, that's a, you know, a big um, kind of part of it as well. Uh, you know, luck is a factor, quite frankly. Um, but also, like, it really doesn't matter. Like, I wanted to join companies that I was so enamored with that I'd be willing to work with them even if they didn't give me a job. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, and that was a function of kind of my just love for its ability to change my life. 
right? which is also risky. <laughs> it's like it's, I mean, it's not necessarily risky because if look at it this way, right? Um, I will have spent two years. Let's say it lasted two years and didn't work out. I will have spent two years working on something that fundamentally changed my life. How many people get to do that? True. <laughs> right. True. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, like I, I fundamentally believe in you know my own personal ability to you know get out and you know try to do important things or find those opportunities uh sprinkle with a little bit of faith right right um and kind of that combination just you know it's pretty pretty deadly and uh, you know and sort of you you've, you've got a pretty good batting average right <laughs> um <laughs> well, and, we'll see <laughs> well no you know the, i mean you've got uh, i i I'm, I'm predicting how about that <laughs> i'll take it but no i, I think when th- there are a lot of startups there are a lot of people with ideas in their back pocket or you know at some stage of development and they all believe in them you know when do you know that so I, I get that you see it as a as a personal use to you, but I think a lot of people do that, right? You uh, you know, one idea that I have I actually want to do is called the Museum of Bad Ideas, uh-huh. right? Where you, you take a physical space and you've got like everything that didn't work that people thought would work, yeah. um, and you know, is like how do you? How, where, what's that? What's that mechanic? Right? What's well, here's, that? Here's the thing, right? Like what. <laughs> I had the, some good advice from this from uh, from Ben Horowitz, and he was like, "Tristan, what usually looks like a good idea is a bad idea. What usually looks like a bad idea is a good idea." You know, probably in that museum of bad ideas, they're like the majority of them are actually good ideas, <laughs> right? Uh, and his his point in saying that is, if there's an idea that looks good, uh, there's probably a thousand other people working on that same idea, right? right. So there's really no value creation there. Uh, usually, the innovation happens in the ideas that actually look bad on the surface, right? You know, a perfect example is like Airbnb. Who would have ever imagined, right, uh, that folks would just rent out kind of their rooms exactly. to strangers, right? Yes. Now it's a multi-multi-billion dollar business, right? Yep. Same with Facebook. Who would have imagined that people would put all of their information on the internet, <laughs> right? Now it's a many tens and hundreds of billions of dollar company, right? Um, so, you know, sure, you can say that I have like a good batting average, but at the end of the day, like you really don't know what's going to end up being a good idea, bad idea. So, but what I do know are the things that will fundamentally change my life and the things that I'm going to enjoy doing regardless of the outcome. Right. Right. Uh, and with that, like, with that mindset, you get a bit fearless and then it just boils down to execution. <clears throat> That's great. Um, you, uh, you spent your, your entrepreneurial residency, um, you know, you said seven months it took you. Yeah. To, so the other six months was probably filled with some things that you, <laughs> for whatever reasons chose that, uh, you decided that they would not increase your batting average. Um, what were some of the things that came out of, you know, that were filtered through and what were some of the filtering processes you, you know, some of the deciding factors that you said, okay, this idea is great or bad according to you and Ben's theory. Um, but it's not good enough. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a difference between good and bad versus like things that are right for you. Right. Um, so even the ideas that I came up with in those first seven months, they weren't bad. I just wasn't the right person for him, right? You know, I had an idea I wanted to fix childhood obesity, right? I had an idea to fix freight and trucking in the country. Like, are very, very sizable opportunities that someone is going to do and succeed wildly at, right? I just wasn't the right guy for it. 
couple that with the fact that like I go around and pitch my ideas to a lot of these other venture capitalists in those arenas, and they say, you know, Tristan, that's an amazing idea, amazing idea, amazing idea. And I pitch it to Ben, and he'd be like, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> right? Uh, and then it wasn't until I came up with the idea for Walking Company that I'd go and pitch it to everybody, and they'd be like, no, nah, I don't think that that's the right idea. I don't understand it. And Ben would be like, that's the that's the one, <laughs> right? And you know, I through that experience, I realized how much. In the first seven months, I was trying to build something to make other people happy, right? As opposed to just not giving a crap what people think about me uh, and doing the thing that I felt uniquely positioned to do. Um, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, <laughs> is it lonely at the top? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been there. <laughs> right? You're there. You're there. Uh, no, but uh, you know, really interesting read in Fast Company last month, and I, I, I say that jokingly, but I also, you know, when I read this article about diversity in Silicon Valley, it's a 15 page spread on you um, and uh, and your experience, and it does feel very isolated, right? Um, do like, do you feel that, or does it sort of not manifest, and especially as you know, your the result of your your residency um, being a product for people of color. You know what? What are some of the dynamics and things that you face, or or does it is it kind of like water off a duck's back? Yeah, I mean that's a good question. I mean the way I think about it, there are three things that are important to me. Right, uh, first my faith. Second is my family, uh, and last is like my work. Right, and the colleagues that I work with, etc. Uh, just with those three things, I'm never going to get lonely, <laughs> right? right? Like I'm very, very happy. It takes up a lot of my time, uh, and it's time well spent, right? So from like a kind of loneliness perspective, no, right? Uh, I feel very fulfilled in that regard. Uh, from the perspective of like you know Walker and Company and building something that a lot of people don't understand, you know, I see kind of potential greatness in that, right? Uh, you know, any of the greatest, largest innovations were the same ways, right? Uh, and, you know, it's not lonely because I have plenty of customers that are finding benefit in what we do, right? So it's like a shared collective kind of like sigh of relief uh, that someone cares enough to actually care, right? Uh, and as long as kind of folks look at us and, and kind of the brands that we launch to deliver on that care promise, um, you know, like I'll never get lonely, bored, right? Not excited about what we're doing. Uh, we're well on our way to do something pretty special. That's 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 awesome, um, and then you know when you talk about that collective sigh of relief, right? You've created this this product. Kind of walk us through some of the particulars of uh, Bevel. You know the 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 first of uh, what I imagine and hope to be many products that you that you put out. Um, yeah. But just you know both through because I, I feel like from a brand standpoint, I mean, and I mean that from pure branding, right? It, the color schemes, the products and ingredients, the way it's distributed to the customer, kind of. Walk Walk us through some of your thinking and some of the particulars uh, in, behind the product. Yeah, so so Bevel is is the first and only kind of shaving system designed specifically for uh, men and women with kind of coarse curly hair, right? Uh, you think about issues related to shaving irritation, razor bumps, all that stuff. You know, it's a problem that eighty percent of Black folks have, and then thirty percent of folks of other kind of uh, kind of racist colors have, right? Um, it's a big problem. Uh, it's a big global problem, right? And and no one's tried to solve it. 
Uh, and the people, well, the people who've tried have delivered products that just either don't work or hazardous for you, among other things. Right? So taking that, we said, all right, we need to develop a clinically proven solution that works. Right? No one's going to buy our products, however we distribute it or design it, if the product doesn't work. Right? Uh, so you know, we went to actually develop proprietary formulations that are clinically proven to work. So check that box. Secondly, uh, the thing that we you know wanted to really um, win on. Uh, is really no longer anybody having the experience of walking down an aisle, you know, picking up a package with like a 67-year-old dude in jerry curls with like a velvet robe drinking a cognac on the packaging, right? Like that stuff was just absolutely ridiculous. So you've seen me shopping is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, going through that my entire life just sucks. And it's a a damn shame, right? No, Uh, I know. I've, I've been there. And, but what's even more interesting about that whole experience is that that packaging hasn't changed over decades, which means that they're probably making a hell of a lot of money to not have to care, <laughs> right? Right. Um, and then lastly, you know, I kind of talk about this um, quote that Johnny Ive at um, Apple said at a vanity fair conference um, a few months ago, and it stuck with me for a while. And he said, um, you know, consumers uh, can discern carelessness for a product just as much as they can discern care for one. Hmm. And, and when we think about like our experiences with products, we think a lot about the carelessness, right? This product sucks, right? right. For this reason, this reason, this reason. Uh, and we don't really talk about all the things that really good, well-designed like products like do uh, to show the care that they have for it, right? So I'll give you a perfect example. And this drives a lot of what we do for Bevel. You know, we do things like you get our box, like you get a handwritten note from me, like welcoming you to the family, right? Like I can outsource that if I wanted to, but no, you get a handwritten note from me, like because that stuff matters, right? Uh, secondly, you think about just the box design that we have, you know, it takes like two and a half seconds to lift off the top from the base, right? Just to build that anticipation for what's underneath. And considering like our customer set, many of whom are shaving for the first time or the second time because the first time they use something else and it sucked, like we want to deliver that entire incident experience that's beautiful anticipatory among other things right we also do things like video one-on-one interviews for people who either want to kind of learn how to do it the right way the first time uh or have had problems with other products and you know really want to learn a little bit more about what we do right these are things that don't necessarily scale you know you travel internationally you really can't go with blades but we'll ship blades to your destination right free of charge right that's care for a product that's awesome Right. So we want to make sure that we're delivering on those things consistently. Uh, and I think that's a big reason why people look at the Bevel brand and like, wow, like that's kind of what we've had for or what we've wanted for a while. Uh, and then the very last thing I want to say, I believe this to be very true. And I challenge everybody to really think about this because uh, I think it's profound and right. Uh, you know, I'm 30 years old and like I reflect back on my life and I've really never had um, a brand that I was proud to support. Right, like there are a lot of products I like using. Right, I look at the brand. Like, there's no brand. I'm like, wow. Like, I'm actually proud to support that brand. And I feel like that wasn't the case when my mom was growing up with like the soft sheens of the world, the soul trains, like all that stuff. You know. Um, But how do we like engender the next generation of that? And I think Walker Company is like primarily positioned to do that. And that is like a little bit of the kind of secret special sauce that people don't give us enough credit for. But you know, the company that is that company to inspire pride in its customers uh, will have uh, a very, very important company. Well, I mean, you know, and kudos to you for 
the the level of care you've taken in checking all the boxes and creating creating some new ones. Um, you know, I, I like to think around this idea of design thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Where you know you're starting with the customer first, and not mm-hmm. the product or not the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you know that's pretty awesome. Were there any other companies you took cues from? Like the first one that came to mind for me as you were talking is like a Zappos, right? And mm-hmm. they, from a business standpoint, they talk about themselves being a customer service company that happens to sell you know sell products. Yeah. Um, and so the customer service always comes first. Were, yeah. were there any other, you know, who, who else did you take cues from, especially, you know, like you said, not having that genera- generationally or culturally to to look at? Yeah, so there, there are two ways to think about that. Number one is like the brand side, too, just the tactical execution. Right? Uh, company that I think a lot about is just Amazon, which, funny enough, owns Zappos, right? Um, and, you know, Amazon has this really uh, ambitious goal to be the world's most consumer-centric company, period, right? Uh, you know, I think about you know what we're doing in terms of being the most consumer-centric, like health and beauty products company. I think we can do it. And with Amazon, Jeff Bezos did this really great thing to help him think about like how his business works. And he kind of wrote on the napkin um, this concept of a flywheel, right? Uh, so you know, flywheels is very heavy, kind of like spinning thing that like once you it takes a lot of kind of work to get it started. Um, but if you keep spinning, like it's just going to keep going and it takes a lot of force to stop it. Right. Um, so he thought about the flywheel starting with customer satisfaction, right? Uh, you, you build an experience that people love, like they'll want to talk about it and that'll drive traffic to your site. Right. Uh, if you get more people kind of coming to your site, you're going to get more third party sellers to want to sell on your platform. If you get more third party sellers selling your platform, you're going to get greater selection, Right. If you get greater selection, you're going to just drive more customer satisfaction, right? Like I can buy more stuff from one place. That's going to drive this like flywheel of revenue growth, right? Once that's spinning, out of that revenue growth, you're able to kind of lower costs on the uh, kind of supply chain side, right? And then what do you do with those lower costs? You just pass that through to consumer in, in terms of lower prices, which drives customer satisfaction, right? So if you look over the past 20 years, the reason why Amazon's been able to dominate and do so well relative to brick and mortar incumbents is because they thought about their business in terms of that flywheel that's hard to stop. You know, when I think about Walker Company, you know, we start with customer satisfaction as well. So whether you call it Zappos or Amazon, like, you know, we, we take that very, very, very seriously. Um, out of that customer satisfaction, we're focusing on really the most social demographic on the planet, right? Uh, so when you think about word of mouth, like that's a rung in the flywheel that's important. With word of mouth, we'll get the traffic, right? With traffic, you're going to get more people that want to distribute our product in their store, right? So we think about that as like distribution. Uh, now you have more Bevel, more Walker Company products in more places, which means customers are going to be happy that they can find it anywhere, right? Which drives our engine for revenue growth, cash growth, profitability. Out of that profitability, we can lower our costs on the supply chain side. But instead of like just naturally kind of going to a race to the bottom, lower costs, we think about reinvesting that into other products that solve acute health and beauty products needs uh, for people of color, right? And with that, you drive more customer satisfaction. So for us, you know, when we think about like the next 20 years, um, you know, we think tactically about every rung in that flywheel and making that world class. That's 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 fantastic. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's really the intricacy of making a good brand and not just you know, un- build, starting a business is it's, it's two different uh, trains of thought. I think about, 
you know, you've had a lot of successes and like, again, check those boxes were, what are <laughs> some of the hurdles that you faced, you know, so far, you know, was there a pothole along the way, um, thus far, you know, how, how, lo- how long have you actually been launched? Yes, yeah, so we've been launched. Um, well, come mid February, we will have been a year's worth of shipping right. our product. Right. Yeah. So, so in the past year, yeah. What's kind of been the biggest pothole that you've that you've experienced so far? Um, skepticism. Um, so you know, and this is something that we knew going in, right? Uh, again, I mentioned a lot of our customers are shipping for the first time or the second time, right? Because they've all, all had like a bad experience prior, right? Right. So it's like, all right, well, convince me why your product works, <laughs> right? Uh, and convince a man, right, to do that. Uh, and like, it's actually pretty hard to do. So basically, you got the yeah right lips. You got a bunch of uh, gifts of people just making like the yeah right. Stuff. Yeah, right. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but we've been able to cross that hurdle, right? But like, our biggest focus is not necessarily on things like hyper growth. It's about developing a product that just works, right? If we do that with a brand that's authentic and true to like our core customer base, everything like the numbers will work themselves out. Like the score takes care of itself. Right. But we just want to put everything we can on the field. So that's probably like the biggest thing, if anything, uh, that that we've experienced. But like we've kind of crossed that hurdle because people keep buying our stuff. Uh, with a virtual business like this, I'm, I'm assuming it's virtual. Um, how do you go about getting it in literally, quite literally, in the faces of people? Right? Yeah. Have you taken this out to like any events? Are you like in barber shops or, what, or are you, you know? Um... Yeah. So we we started with some um, like 15, 20 barber shops around the country just to test out the model. Uh, it's definitely something that we're going to scale this year. Distribution, um, you know, again on the flywheel. That's a big kind of rung for us this year that we're going to work on in a big way. So, you know, distributing Bevel uh, in more places offline in addition to online, right? Uh, so you'll start to see more of that in the coming months, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and outside of that, word of mouth, right, which is another rung on that flywheel. Um, but we get that naturally from our customers, right, because it's like – wow, um, you know, I'll buy Bevel, but let me know how you like it first, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, and we've been blessed to have, like, customers who are willing to talk about it socially, uh, in person, online, et cetera, uh, to drive a lot of that customer acquisition for us. Um, now that you're, you're big, I'm going to just call you Big Papa for a second. Uh, <laughs> now that you're Big Papa, what's your, what's your son's name? Avery. Avery. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, Avery. Now that you have Avery, uh, what? let's go back to, to young Tristan. What did Tristan want to be when he was a, a young fellow? Uh, yeah, that changed, man. Like, I, Well, young Tristan wanted to be wealthy, right? <laughs> okay. uh, that's, that's just the real of it all, right? Like, I, you know, I grew up in the projects, all that stuff. Right? Yeah. Uh, I knew I didn't want to kind of go back but to did that. You, did you know what wealth was or you just wanted a different... I know experience. what being rich was. Right. Uh, I didn't know what wealth was until I went to high school. I went to a boarding school in Connecticut for high school. Uh, and I got to go to school with Fords and Rockefellers and all that stuff. I went on full scholarship. Lucky. And, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. And I, um, I got to see what wealth meant, right? Uh, and that had a profound impact on like how I looked at the world. So I knew I want to get rich. I realized there were three ways to do it. The first was to be an actor or an athlete, and that didn't work out for me too well. Um, did you try but, acting? Uh, I did. You not did? Really. Oh, well, yeah. Really, not really. I was more an athlete, so I was a basketball player. Were, were, you like, were you like high school musical, like you were in the school play and on the basketball team? I was more, I was more, I wasn't. I wasn't at the drama <laughs> table. I was at the athlete's table. Gotcha. <laughs> I should say that. All right. All right. Um, 
and then I knew, uh, well, that wasn't going to work out for me because I, you know, after playing basketball so much, I got kind of tired of it. Um, and knew like the odds on that were pretty, you know, slim <laughs> to none. Um, then I knew, all right, well, if that's not going to work out, you can go work on Wall Street and get rich, right? Uh, I did that for about two years. I was a trader on Wall Street and hated it, right? Uh, I realized I was a victim of bad culture and I didn't, you know, I wanted to be creative for a great one, right? Uh, and then kind of having gone through those two experiences, like, man, the only thing's left is entrepreneurship, right? Right. Uh, and then kind of that realization, you know, I applied to Stanford for business school, uh, and fortunately got in. And then I learned Silicon Valley existed. But what I also learned uh, was really the reasons why anybody starts a company or becomes an entrepreneur. I mean, one of my professors, Mark Leslie, he was the founder of a company called Veritas. Uh, and he said, you know, Tristan, there are three reasons why people start a company, Right. Uh, the first is to get rich, right? Which that resonated with me. I was like, oh, hurrah, right? <laughs> like, that's awesome. Like, young Tristan. Yeah, exactly. Ding. <laughs> the second was to um, build a great company. Uh, and the third is to change the world. And, you know, he said that because, like, it's not wrong to go down any route, right? Like, they're all fine. But, like, the route that you go down is really going to dictate the type of business you build. Right. Right. And having spent a few years in Silicon Valley, it's gone from kind of getting rich. Uh, to building a great company uh, that will change the world. Uh, and, you know, the getting wealthy thing works itself out uh, as long as we can do it. But it's steeped in, like, building a great company that people can be proud of. And it's funny. I mean, that's a, that's an age-old spiritual, philosophical, metaphysical philosophy of do good and the, you know, the wealth, I'm use quotation fingers, will yeah. come, right? Because wealth means a lot outside of financial wealth. Like, there's a, a lot to be had by Absolutely. doing good first. Absolutely. Uh, um, where do you see, you know, what do you see the the impact you know, not just the business piece of Bevel, but where do you see the the world changing impact of a company like Bevel, or or even just what you're doing? You know, as as the yeah, I mean, like I say, the greatest economic opportunity of my lifetime, whether that be for profit or not for profit, and I'm exhausting all of my time, resources, efforts to this on the for profit and not for profit side, uh, is really thinking about the demographic shift happening in this country, right? right. The folks of color, uh, the majority of the country let alone the majority of the world, but let's just talk about like the country right now. Uh, in 20, 30 years, it'll be the majority of the country. Uh, and you think about global culture, I think all global culture is led by American culture, which is led by black culture in the U.S., and more recently, the Latino Asian culture as well. Um, so you know, you're having this kind of like fundamental shift in the makeup of this country with the most cultural, influential, like culturally influential demographic groups uh, in this country. The opportunity to affect change uh, not only at like, you know, um, kind of the product level, but also just like from a country competitiveness perspective, right? Uh, and preparing kind of folks in the demographic to be competitive uh, in the way that like our world is leading us is, is one of the greatest opportunities of my lifetime. And I want to dedicate the rest of my life to that. That's fantastic. Uh, and, and I know, I mean, speaking of the future generations, uh, you're, you're, that other half of you is dedicated to uh, Code 2040. Yeah. Um, you want to just kind of dive into that a little bit, um, maybe ex yeah. explain to the listeners what it is, I think, because there's a, there's a lot of youth coding, STEM organizations, um, just kind of this new, like, t tangential form of education 
educating a younger population. But uh, you also touched on the cultural makeup of the country and what it will look like in the future, which is, is steeped in the name Code Twenty Forty. So if you can just touch on that, yeah, one, that'd be great. absolutely. So you know, Code Twenty Forty really started by my story of like not knowing that Silicon Valley existed until I was twenty four. Right, like that's a problem. Right? Right. I had no idea what Silicon Valley was until I was twenty four. Um, so, like, how do we prevent folks um, like me who had the potential to really understand what this place is about? Right? You know, I was a part of an organization in, in university. Um, it's called Sponsors for Educational Opportunity. Uh, you know, their goal is to get the highest performing Black Latino undergraduates front office roles on Wall Street. You know, their value add was a lot of these Wall Street firms go to the Harvards and the MITs, um, but there are folks kind of that go to Stony Brook University, like me. Uh, who like have good GPAs and are hungry, who deserve the shot, right? Uh, so they extended the recruiting efforts of uh, kind of these Wall Street firms. Uh, Silicon Valley is no different, right? Uh, you know, Silicon Valley recruits at a lot of you know the MITs, the Stanford's, the Carnegie Mellons. Uh, but what about the folks at Harvey Mudd or University of Maryland, Baltimore County, or Stony Brook, with folks with like 4.0 GPAs? Uh, in computer science who want to learn more about this place. Um, so, you know, we thought, much like uh, SEO, Sponsor for Educational Opportunity, how do we develop a program to get the best and brightest uh, minority engineering talent um, a shot out here, uh, a shot to succeed, uh, and over the next kind of 30 years or so, build the largest network of technical talent uh, happens to be black and Latino in the world. Right. Uh, you know, when you think about kind of, yeah, one book really had an effect on me. It's called Race Against the Machine. The premise of the book was pretty much, look, uh, the gap between rich and the poor is as bad as it's ever been. It's only going to get worse. The reason is because people at the top uh, are able to leverage um, tools to make them more productive, right? And this is just technology, uh, which kind of reduces the need for them to have, you know, more employees and that sort of thing, Right. Uh, but the folks at the bottom aren't leveraging technology in ways to make themselves more productive, right? Um, so if, if we're going to kind of cross this chasm, uh, and, and the view is like there's no middle class pretty much, so it's a bit of a kind of controversial view, but I believe a lot of the tenets to be right. If we are to kind of restore ourselves back to this middle class nation, uh, almost have a new industrial revolution of sorts that's no longer analog but digital, uh, kind of adoption of these tools and affecting uh, of kind of like the way consumers interact with these tools is going to be more and more important. So the the view that I had is, you know, in terms of like the greatest economic opportunity, I think, is how do we make the greatest consumer demographic in the world be the best producer demographic in the world? Right. Right. Like that combination is actually pretty seismically, like ridiculously awesome. If, if someone <laughs> can pull that off uh, in code 2040, that's like when I think about the kind of larger vision, uh, and having the largest network of technical talent, that's really it. Uh, our first pro- our first program uh, is, a, is a, our flagship program is the Code 2040 Fellows Program, uh, where we get the highest performing engineering undergraduates internships out here uh, and provide them with all the necessary tools to succeed. So we give them media training. We give them uh, kind of mentors in in their company and outside of them. Uh, you know, they go to folks and speak directly with like the Ben Harts of the world, right? Uh, or kind of Kleiner Perkins or any of these other firms around what it's like to just not only be a VC in the Valley, an entrepreneur in the Valley, et cetera. Uh, and, you know, it's a 10 to 12 week program. And by the end of it, they're tired, right? Uh, right. Because we kind of give them a lot. Uh, but I think 
certainly rewarding. 90% of our fellows get full-time offers to come back, right? Um, most of our fellows come from the less traditional schools, right? So we've proven out a model that a lot of the kind of larger uh, and smaller startups could not. And not only that, you mentioned earlier that there are a lot of uh, kind of uh, organizations out there focused on things like STEM. But if you look at the undergraduate level, there's really nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Uh, and, and we really fill that gap uh, at, at like four of the most formative years of, of one's life. I think when you talk, when you talk about like the, a, a bright future like that, right, there is also the meantime. Um, and kind of a nod back to the Fast Company article, which I thought was awesome. And I read that and I go, like, I had so many Me Too moments, yeah. <laughs> like reading yeah. that article as far as the sociocultural economics that go into the spaces that we work in, right? Outside yeah. of here, I actually happen to run an innovations group for, a, you know, a, a fairly large media agency. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Me Too, Me Too. Yeah. And if you see top five, like the scene yeah. with, yeah. with Kevin heart and like on the yeah. phone which is one like it was like three minutes on on screen i'm like me too yeah. um there's there's this duality that that has to i don't know if it has to happen but it, like we feel like it has to happen and one of the one of my favorite quotes and uh was in the article was from kanye makubella who i've, I've met <laughs> a few times and he was like i want to quote hip-hop lyrics like ben horowitz does yeah. you know in his tweets and i'm like ah nah, maybe not <laughs> you yeah. know yeah. um Kind of, I, I don't know, like. Do you like? Do you experience that, and or how do you handle that? You know, duality? it's funny. I um, I used to think that, um, but now I just don't care. Right. <laughs> I just don't. I think it's gotten to the point where I feel like I just fundamentally paid a lot of my dues, uh, and continue to right. Uh, and you know, I, I'm. I think I want to be judged by like the kind of output that I've had, and no one could question the amount of output that I've had so far, right? Uh, and you know, I just want to kind of live the life in the, the most authentic way possible, right? Like Walker Company is all about that authenticity, right? So you know, I need to be like, if if I like two chains, like I'm going to talk about two chains. Right. right. Yeah. Like, it just is what it is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's, 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 that's what it is. Right. Um, but like, and people can call out that, like, if they don't see that authenticity, they're going to call it out. I'd much rather um, be stuck in a world where people see me as authentic than not. Right. Uh, it took me a while to just not care what people think about me. Right. And, and Ben, like, really had to beat that in my head. He really did. Because, uh, you know, much like Kanye, I felt the same thing for, for a long time. Yes. Well, I will tweet something really uh, ignorant after <laughs> after this interview. <laughs> you, you will be appalled. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, one last thing is, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the idea of building a diverse team and yeah. innovation sparks from diverse perspectives in a room kind of you know i like to think of it as a culture class of of sorts it doesn't have to be ethnically charged but just experience um and experiences so i i do know that you've built a pretty diverse team at uh, you know at bevel and at walker and company um what, maybe just walk us through a little bit of the thinking there because I, you know there's two trains of thoughts for, for me and i'm probably in the world as well uh where one is yes you want that diverse in you know, the innovative outcome of diversity, but you also want the best people for the job. And, you know, there is a, um, the, the process to, 
to fine tune that formula, um, especially in a world where it, it, it's not as diverse and you can you can find talent that may not be as culturally diverse as you would want. Um, so can just kind of walk us through like some of your design thinking around building the actual organization. Yes, I don't think that those are mutually exclusive. Right. Right. Like there are enough qualified people. You just got to put in the work. Right. right. A lot of people just aren't willing to put in the work. Right. I mean, we we have, well, there's 18 folks on the team, uh, all of whom I really admire, all of whom are great at what they do, and all of whom I learn something from every single day. And we have one of the most diverse teams out there, a majority minority, majority woman, all of, like, really, really great leaders, right? Um, you know, why is it the fact that I've been able to find that and few other folks have, right? I mean, it's not like I've done anything... Um, really magical to get there so I put in the work to do it right like I challenge all of kind of my my immediate network uh, to help me find uh, diverse candidates to um, you know potentially hire who like excel at the role that we have right so it's up to it's a top-down thing that has to happen in order to make that happen and we've been able to do that successfully uh, and then secondly like I just believe in the science right at the end of the day it's good business too right um, you know and the science suggests that more diverse teams lead to more profitable businesses. Uh, I wouldn't want to swim upstream against that science, right? right? So it's imperative of me uh, to expend time throughout you know my day to day to ensure we have as diverse a team as possible. You know, roughly fifty plus percent of my time is spent on recruiting anyway, so a large majority of that time should be spent on finding diverse folks, right? Like there is no excuse. Yeah, no, it's it's funny. I, you know, a, a couple of years ago, I was hiring for a position, and I kind of made a comment to myself. I was like, because all the resumes I was getting, I was like, there are a lot of white women out of work. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. and I, you know, and from an HR and legal perspective, like you know, you want to again kind of filter through. But like you said, it's it's hard work to go make sure that you're covering all the ground you can, especially you know when you are building a, a team. Well, I mean, there industry. are things that you can do, like take off everybody's name off the resumes, right? You'd be surprised how much more diverse like <laughs> your team gets. Yep, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's just implicit bias that folks can't. Like, I'm subject to implicit bias. Everybody's. Subject to implicit bias. Right. It's just imperative of people to implement processes by which they can mitigate that implicit bias. And very few people, well, I'm not going to overgeneralize, less people um, are willing to actually do what it takes to mitigate that implicit bias. And that's more laziness than anything. That's true. Uh, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm lucky. My name is John Christopher. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, I can get any job. Uh, <laughs> um, so the show is called Innovation Crush. Obviously, uh, I have a crush on you in, in some ways, um, in legal ways. And also, um, I'm curious as to what it is you're crushing on that you see out in the world right now that you look at as innovative. It can be in your space. It can be yourself. It can be, you know, cuisine. Um, Anything that's kind of out there is kind of like, you know, makes your eyebrows raise a little bit. Yeah. Um, hmm. I'd probably say um, it's something now that I have like a kid. Right. Like there are things that um, in terms of like my priorities that like I wish I could see more of that I don't see enough of. Uh, so like this like combination of like what's happening with wearables. Right. Um, 
you know, I still believe in that whole like childhood obesity thing and like this idea of play to like eliminate childhood obesity, right? You look at what the Xbox Connect has done, what Dance Dance Revolution did way back in the day, and like a lot of people to like lose weight and that sort of thing. And you know, I reflect back, you know, coming up as a kid, like wanting to play all the time, but a lot of kids that like I see these days don't want to do that as much, right? Um, so you know, how do we take technology exists today, all the senses out there? Uh, and you know, inspire that play uh, for kids who can. But even I look at like my my child, right? Uh, making sure that you know he's as healthy as can be, right? right? Uh, and there's very few things outside of my own paternal instinct, <laughs> right? Uh, to to help guide me, right? And I wish there were more. Uh, and I'd be a pretty avid consumer of that stuff. Well, so just, I haven't seen too much, but like I hope that somebody uh, would do it. And if you find anything, please let me know. See, I, t- I told you when we talked before. I said you should come to CES. There was a ton of like baby stuff there, baby oh, wearables, awesome. connected the pacifiers. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I, I will send you some links. Um, yeah, the issue is that like you know by the time that stuff comes out, my kid's gonna be like five years old. <laughs> like, you know, well, I mean, meantime, just keep your fist balled up and keep your phone on you. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> last but not least. Um, can you complete this phrase for me? Uh, innovation to me is. Um, that's a good question. Oh, you didn't tell me that before. This. Hey, well, you know, you got to you got to you got to surprise people at some point. Yeah, like I figured you've seen it all. And I did like I gotta get I gotta get Tristan off guard a little bit. Yeah. Um, hmm. And don't worry about the law. A lot of people get stuck with the like. Hmm. Well, let me see. I mean, the, the first word that came to mind, quite frankly, and I used this um, at my board meeting yesterday, was like paranoia, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, a lot of, if you think about like a lot of innovation, it's just driven by like ones being paranoid of like kind of what other people like could do. Right. Uh, so the first thing that came to mind to me was like, <laughs> well, I don't know if it necessarily fits in the sentence, but like innovation is really, it's just driven by paranoia. That's great. That's great. One of my favorite answers to the question was pancakes. And it was like awesome. it was like my first. It was like the, our first series of recordings. We recorded like five shows in one day, That's and awesome. I'm like, I'm gonna try this new question out on everybody. And then she said pancakes, and I'm like, oh no, I shouldn't have done this. So, but then awesome. I, I was like, can you expand? And she's like, you know, is a pancake is flat and plain, but you can make it whatever you want to make it. You can make it in different shapes. You can add different flavors, different color, you know, just all these different ingredients. And, you know, we all start with this sort of clean slate and like the innovation comes in wherever your imagination takes you. Yeah. Um, so, so, awesome. I, so I, I love, love that. that. <laughs> uh, so anyway, man, I wanted to thank you for, uh, for joining us today. Um, and uh, how can people find you in the world? What's your, what's your home address? Dress and uh, and <laughs> well, what, I mean, what color I, I is your share, car? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm at com. Like I share that with all our customers and everything. Uh, and then you know our products uh, getbevel.com for a shaving product, uh, and then walkerandcompany.com to learn more about kind of like our you know overarching mission and all that shit. That's great. And by the way, I shave and I like free stuff. Awesome. So, <laughs> so thank you, Tristan. Um, everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush. I am Chris Denson, and I thank you for listening. Talk to you next time. Some major office supply stores are closing their doors, but Walmart has low prices on supplies you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
like two packs of Papermate Clearpoint Mechanical Pencils on rollback for $4.77, 400 count Post-it Notes Cube on rollback for $3.97, and 25 yard Scotch Heavy Duty Packaging Tape Dispenser for just $2.88. Plus, Walmart's got great prices on things like copy paper, printers, and more. For all your office supply needs, save money, live better. Walmart. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleisinger. Schleisinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.